the idea of fearing God. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew's Gospel to his disciples that he is about to send out the twelve disciples into this field of ministry that he wants them to concentrate their efforts in, there is going to be opposition. There is going to be difficulty. There are going to be trials, uncertainties. And he says again three times in this short portion that we're looking at this morning, do not fear. And as I considered these words of Jesus, I began to realize that this time in which we are living is a time that many people are fearful. There is a great deal of things going on in the world, in our region, in our neighborhoods that are cause for fear for many people. I took the time to just kind of briefly look through several headlines over the past several days. I want to start this morning's message to you at the Church of Jesus Christ here in this place with these thoughts with regard to the current events as given to us by the reporters in our newspapers, on the internet, on the television and radio stations. Listen to what some of them are saying in these headlines. First one is this. A doctor warns of significant safety implications of Title 42 lift, the cartels that hold on to Central America. That headline has actually two thoughts. The first, Title 42, the lifting of Title 42 is something that the president is considering, and Title 42 was put into place under our previous president's administration with regard to the threat of COVID at our southern border. And they put that into place to basically minimize the impact of people who might have been infected with COVID coming across our borders and then being allowed to mingle with our people in our country and spread even more than it had been this virus that so impacted our lives. So Title 42 was put in place to prevent or minimize the effect of the spreading of the COVID virus. Well, the president is considering no longer needing that because there is no longer as much of a threat with COVID as there was back in 2020 when that was originally put into place. The problem is COVID is on the increase again in the United States. Here's another related headline. This time, the organization known as WHO, the World Health Organization. The headline says this, WHO reports that COVID cases are down everywhere, that's good news, except Africa and the Americas. Well, Title 42 Maybe we need to keep it in place. But again, the other portion of that headline that I read first has to do with the cartels. And if you're not familiar with what the cartels are, basically they are very evil organizations, primarily in Central America, Mexico, and some of the other Central American countries that really are very highly involved in the distribution of drugs into the United States. They are highly involved in sex traffic into the United States. 
They are highly involved with all kinds of evil that they're taking advantage of the loose border restrictions or what used to be restrictions that allow them to infiltrate with many people that are not at all vetted that should have been. And as a result, there's all kinds of crime that is being propagated all over the region that we should be protecting against such things. So this doctor is warning there's a significant safety implication in all of this. Well, there's another headline that I want to read. There are several, actually. But this next one, it says, experts say that Biden's plan to cancel student loan debt will have enormous consequences. And I should say, yes, that is absolutely true. Forgiving of student loan debts for some is a great idea. But it's way too costly for us to even consider it as being a valid option. Of course, our president is very much involved in the proposition that we can just create all the money we need, printing and printing more and more without consequence. That is a mindset that is critically flawed. Student loan debt is significant. I remember just several years ago now talking with a young lady who wanted to go into uh, the dental profession, but she needed to go through several years of college in order to be able to do that which she intended to do. And she said that I don't really have any other option but to get student loans. And she expected that the student loans, based on the college costs at that time, again, several years ago, would rack up a bill for her of around $300,000. Now, I don't remember, as I look back in my employment history, ever earning enough money to pay off that kind of a debt in my lifetime. Of course, she might be able to get a job where she would be able to have a good substantial income and it would be able then, she would be able then to pay off that debt over a period of time perhaps. But there are so many students who have graduated from college who don't have any employment opportunities at all and now they're stuck with this huge debt. What are they going to do? Well, they go to the federal government and they go to seek help. And there is help available to pay off some of that debt. But for the federal government to say, don't worry about any of it, we'll just pay it off for you, there's no money to do that. It's going to cause enormous consequences in terms of our financial status in the world. This country is hurting. And it will continue if he does things like this. The third article was, Israeli police clashed with mourners carrying casket of Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akleh. Israeli police clashing with Palestinians. Now, this is not really something that many of us would consider to be all that significant. It's just a journalist, by the way, that was involved in some kind of provocation. She was standing somehow in the midst of that provocation that took place and gunfire began to take place, and she got killed by that. 
The Palestinians say the Israelis did it. The Israeli government made an appeal to the Palestinian government and said, look, let's together investigate this. And when we take the bullet out of that woman's body, we can determine from the bullet itself whether or not it was an Israeli or a Palestinian that fired that gun. The Palestinians refused to allow that. That tells me that they at least suspected it could have been a Palestinian that shot her. And they wouldn't allow the Israelis to even come close to be able to prove it was not them. And the reason for that is the Palestinians historically, and in this case, are likely to do the same, go to the world authorities, the UN and European or American opinions are generally driven by what the Palestinians say. They just want everybody to be in agreement with their position at no matter what the cost. That's just one example of what's going on in Israel with the Palestinian problem. Over this last month, during the month of Ramadan, there were many, many different times which were instigated by the Palestinians throwing rocks at innocent Jewish people standing and praying at the Jewish wall, the Wailing Wall. They don't allow the Jews to enter into the temple area during Ramadan. The temple area is supposed to be under Jewish authority with regard to the policing of it. But it's also under the authority of a Jordanian administration that oversees what goes on on the temple grounds. But they exclude Israel from every decision that they make with regard to who gets onto the temple grounds. And they don't want Israel to be there because they don't want Israel to exist. So there's a problem in Jerusalem. It's a major problem. And I'll read another headline later that will emphasize that very fact. The next article headline is Lawmakers Call for Action While the White House Puts Out Fact Sheet Outlining Measures It's Taking to Handle Baby Formula Crisis. That is a real serious issue. For some reason, baby formulas are no longer on the shelf. Critically important for many young mothers, parents, who are trying to feed their little babies, who are no longer breastfeeding or never did give breastfeeding a try. I'm not going to stand here and accuse young women of whether or not they should be involved with moving in that direction. That's their decision. But the fact that there is no breast milk formula on the market tells me something. That shortage has to have been caused by some terrible event. Well, as you dig deeper into that, apparently much of the formula comes from China. But that's not the only problem. We also have seen reports where our federal government has been sending baby formula by the pallet loads across the southern border into Central America for their consumption. And so we're getting rid of all the available supplies by sending it to other people. 
And then they write this statement that, oh, we've got a fix. We're, we're, we're okay. We're going we're gonna to take care of this. Their lies are adding up more and more. Next article said, Justice Alito gives an update on the SCOTUS, which is the organization known as the Supreme Court. Gives an update on the Supreme Court with abortion protests raging. Now this is relatively new. Everybody's aware of it. There was a leak. It was a document that was not to be released or even made public in any form, but somebody leaked it. And the document basically had to do with the changing of the Roe v. Wade abortion law. They are up in arms over this. Pro-choice, we've talked about it last week, in fact, but what I want to focus on here this morning is the protests, he says, are raging. Now, that's only just begun. There is a summer of rage being planned by pro-choice organizations. A summer of rage. Clarence Thomas put out a statement regarding the fact that it's wrong for anybody to protest at the homes of the justices. That's just so, so very wrong. It's wrong for that leak to have taken place. That's so, so very wrong. But he added also that if it had been on the other side of the equation, if the shoe fit on the opposite end of the spectrum, the conservative side would not be doing what the left is doing And hopefully that is true. That they want to take advantage of this event and continue to do things that are absolutely illegal for them to be doing because they believe their cause to be just. There was an article also, and I hadn't written it down, but I just read it this morning, where a mayor of a major city proclaimed that it is a woman's right to abort her baby even up to the day of birth. And you all know that that's not the limit of what they want. They've even talked about aborting not during pregnancy, but taking the child's life after the child has been born, if it's the mother's will. How far were they willing to go? They may as well set up statues of Molech, whose arms would be extended, and then they set a fire underneath the bronze arms of this Molech and place their babies on that god and burn their children and listen to them screaming in pain and agony. There's no difference between that, which used to be done in Israel, and all over the Middle East in the days of the Old Testament Scriptures. No difference than what they're doing now. Next article says, Small, medium-sized police agencies reeling from loss of officers, job recruitment woes amid anti-cop climate. Black Lives Matter, police defunding, violence in the cities, 
resulting from such foolishness as what has been going on in the effort to defund the police and replace the police with social workers. It's just not right for them to have done so, but many of the larger cities have taken the steps that have resulted in greater violence. Think Chicago, New York, L.A., Seattle, Portland, Oregon, and many, many other places. Milwaukee. They have lost police forces. And it has affected even smaller communities like here in Searsport, Maine. They wanted to replace one of the officers who left for another position elsewhere. And it took so, so very long for them to find somebody. And that's just one example. Small communities, and this is what this writer says, the small and mid-sized police agencies are reeling from that problem of the loss of officers and not being able to find replacements for them. Listen, we need police to protect. That's their purpose. And all of the things that are going on that prevent them from being able to do their job is a threat to us. Consumer confidence sinks to 11-year low in May as inflation rages. Inflation is a problem. And it's rising at such a rate that the likelihood of our recovering anytime soon is very, very minimal. And what that means is higher prices. And what that higher pricing means is less availability of goods. And what that less availability of goods means, recession. They are talking about gas rationing. I'll read another article quickly here with regard to gas. It says gas prices surged to new record high. That just happened yesterday. It's not been this high since the early 70s. Dangerously high. Some have called it hyperinflation. And you get hyperinflation when the value of your currency no longer keeps up with the cost of goods. Next article says, Erdogan says Turkey not on board with Finland, Sweden, in their effort to join NATO. Well, what's that got to do with us? Well, it has a lot to do with us. Turkey is a member of NATO. And all of the NATO member states have to unanimously agree to allow another state like Finland and Sweden to enter into NATO. So the president of Turkey is now here stating that we're not on board with that idea. Why is that significant? Well, think Ezekiel 38. The Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel in chapter 38 described a war that is going to take place in the last days and among those who will come against the nation of Israel will be Turkey and Russia. Now, Turkey is going to side with Russia in this matter. Russia does not want Finland and Sweden to join NATO. In fact, Russia has threatened nuclear retaliation if they put troops along the Russian border. Sweden and Finland have both been neutral countries. But they're taking sides. Why? Because they're seeing the aggression of Russia and they don't want to be next. They want to be protected. But that creates a problem. 
Turkey's not going to allow NATO to move in that direction. Things are heating up in that region of the world. And it's not just in Ukraine that we need to be focusing our attention because there are many, many other things that are happening around that entire region that really are of biblical proportion. How about this one? Johns Hopkins Center is against child sexual abuse. There's a center at Johns Hopkins that it has that title. They are the Center Against Child Sexual Abuse. They hired a professor who defended what he refers to as minor attracted persons. In other words, this Child Against Sexual Abuse organization has hired a professor who endorses child abuse. What is wrong with this picture? How about this one? Israeli Air Force strikes targets near Damascus overnight. Now that's something that happens almost on a weekly basis lately. All around Syria, Damascus in particular, Israel is defending its right to prevent the Iranians from building a military force in Syria that could attack them. And so they preemptively strike these targets known to them to be places where military equipment is being stored. And the world is angered by Israel's desire to stay safe. And they're not angered by Iran's attempts to continue to bring all of that military equipment into Syria as a staging area for what again will become that which takes place according to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Colorado Middle School reportedly invited students to secret LGBTQ club. They did that under the guise of something else, that they were inviting the young people, barely in their teen years, to come to this club, purportedly for some other reason, but really the real purpose is to promote the LGBTQ lifestyle. That's being done in your middle schools. Kindergarten, first graders are being taught things about sexual activities that they should not have any idea about until they're adults. Nuclear war threat drives greater divide between U.S. and China. North Korea fires three suspected ballistic missiles as U.S. pushes U.N. for more sanctions against Kim's regime. U.N. watchdog warns Iran closer than ever to the nuclear bomb. All of those, in addition to what we just spoke about with regard to Russia threatening nuclear activity against Finland and Sweden, we are in a world that is so much closer to the threat of nuclear activity than we ever have been before. Even during the time of the Bay of Pigs, some of you may remember that under John Kennedy's administration. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Verse 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What Jesus is referring to here is what was stated in verse 23 where he says, When they persecute you in this city, 
preach one another. There will be persecution to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Persecution has been a major problem in the world. We've sort of been exempt from that in our nation, wonderfully protected by the mercy of God, but I don't see that mercy of God anymore being likely to remain upon us. I'm reminded when in the Old Testament, God had said that He would be with His people. He told Solomon in his day that He would be there in the temple. That's where He would meet with His people. Well, there came a time when they were so, so far from God that God removed Himself from the temple and He did it incrementally. He went from the temple to the gates of the temple, from the Holy of Holies where He was placed Himself there as a presence of the Holy God, He moved Himself to the gates of the temple. And then as things continued to worsen, He removed Himself to the outskirts of Jerusalem. And then as things got even worse, He removed Himself completely from the land. I see that being something that God is likely going to do in this age with us as a people. To whom much is given, much is required. And I see the United States, which has been blessed by God, eventually, over time, I believe he is going to remove himself from this nation. He tells us in one of the Psalms that he is preparing a cup of wrath that will be drunk by the nations. And I believe the United States is among those that will have to drink that cup of wrath. When will this take place? Nobody knows. But I see the beginnings of it. I trust that you might also, as we have read these things that we've looked at this morning in just those few headlines, there's trouble ahead. There's trouble brewing. There are difficult times coming. And so what are we going to do? Well, Jesus tells us, do not fear them. Verse 26. And then verse 27, he says, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the, weir, uh, in the ear, preach on the housetops. In other words, while we still have breath, while we are still able, we should be propagating the word of truth. And so we meet together in places like this, and we teach the word of God. That's good. Do we go outside from this four walls, and do we tell others about Jesus Christ? I was talking to Richard before the service. He was wearing a hat. And the hat has a little message on it. Jesus is King. He was wearing that in the public arena. And yes, he got some scowling looks from certain individuals who saw the hat and didn't say anything, didn't bother him. But there were many, many more who came up to him and said, I like that hat. And I say yes to that. Just a simple statement. You don't have to voice it. Just wear it. Or just act it. That's important. We need them to know that we are believers. How are we to let them know? By what we do. It's not just by what we say. But here, he's sending his disciples, 12 of them, out into this ministry, and he's saying, what I've told you in private, you are to share with them. And the word has gone out to all the world. They did a good job of it. They didn't at first. 
when Jesus died on the cross, they were in hiding. It wasn't until after his resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they began to move under the mighty outpouring of God's Spirit into all the world. It took them a while, too. They stayed in Jerusalem until God forced their hand and made them to be leaving that area and then spreading the gospel record to the Gentiles. Verse 28 tells us a second time, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now that is an amazing statement that Jesus is making. Do not fear those who will be able to kill the body. Now I've lived in this body for almost 72 years now. And I am fairly protective of this body. I don't want this body to be tortured. I don't want to be burned at the stake. I don't want to be decapitated by a guillotine. I don't want to be shot in the head by some arbitrary uh, person that comes along and randomly starts shooting at everybody. I don't want to die of cancer. If it be known, I just simply don't want to die. Not yet, anyway. I like my life that I've been given by our God. And so must you all. You like breathing every day you wake up and you realize you're still here. It's a good thing. It's good to be alive. But Jesus is saying, don't fear those who can kill your body. I'm not sure that I am prepared to say, go for it. I'd much rather be here in the protection of this place, knowing that some of you are packing. And I'm not talking about packing your furniture. I'm talking about packing on your holster. Protecting. I encourage that. I I think it's right. In times such as this, it may become needful. None of us would want to be responsible for shooting anybody. But if it's a matter of defending your brothers and sisters in the Lord, go for it. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body. The only way that I know of that any one of us would be able to attain that kind of fearlessness is by the grace of God in the time of trouble that might come upon us where it could be likely that our lives might be taken. He'll give the grace for you to deal with that. And I say that with confidence because I read of all the martyrs who have gone down that path. The Book of Martyrs is one of the most fantastic books to read with regard to what men and women were willing to do to suffer for the name of Christ, even unto death. Fox's Book of Martyrs stands as a great testimony to this fact. God gives the grace to those who have to face even martyrdom. But Jesus says, don't fear them. Fear the one instead who can destroy, not kill, but destroy both body and soul in hell. And I want to focus on those two words, destroy, first of all. It almost sounds as if that's annihilation, doesn't it? Fear the one who can destroy both body and hell, a body and soul in hell. Well, that word destroy 
is not really annihilation, and it never is used in that sense. It is used instead primarily in the sense of putting out of the way or a simple tormenting that continues. And Jesus is saying, fear him who can put your soul and body out of the way. And what's he mean by that? Well, you go to other scriptures where Jesus refers to the destiny of those who do not know him as Lord and Savior. Eternal punishment. Eternal damnation. Where their worm dies not. Where their thirst is never quenched. Those are indications that there's an ongoing punishment in a place known as hell. Now, Jesus spoke of the term hell many times in his public ministry. In fact, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. But unfortunately, some of our translations in our Bibles, whatever translation you might have, they're all sort of guilty in translating certain words as hell where that should not have been done. There are two words in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language that are typically translated hell in our English Bibles. In the Hebrew Old Testament text, the word sheol is translated hell many times. Now, sheol in the Hebrew culture meant more than one thing. It referred to the place of the grave. When you put into the graves, you were put into sheol. But they extended that not only in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense as the final place of destiny that they would all have. Either those who were evil into one portion of that place known as Sheol or those who did good in another portion of that place known as Sheol. It was a place of departed spirits. That's why in the Old Testament you see so many references, when you die you shall go to be with your fathers. The Hebrew was very much a multi-point language. They had references to, with certain words, one thing, and then with the same word, something completely different. Well, the Greek also did that. The Greek word that's translated primarily as hell in the New Testament is the word Hades. And Hades is a place of departed spirits. But from the Greek philosophy, that ended everything. Annihilation was common among the Greeks. But the church began to use the word Hades to represent the concept of life after death. Jesus isn't using either of those words in this statement that he makes. In verse 28, the word translated hell is the Greek word, or actually the Aramaic word, Gehenna. Gehenna is a place, a physical place. It's also known as the Valley of Hinnom. It's outside of Jerusalem. It is a garbage, garbage dump. And there is 
perpetually going on in that place in Jesus' time, a fire burning all of the garbage outside of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is referring to that place, Gehenna, as he's describing this ultimate destiny of those who are not saved, a place of, in other places, outer darkness, a place where their thirst is never quenched, the place where their worms never die, the place of eternal fire. So when we read the word translated hell, it's always useful to find out what word is actually being translated. There are a couple of others. There's a word, Tartarus, which is the place for the spirits, angels, who defected in the Old Testament book of Genesis. There's another word called Apollyon. Apollyon is also a place of departed spirits. So those words are all lumped together under one general English word, hell. But Hades is not hell. Gehenna is. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about Gehenna as a place that was made not for men, but for those angels that had, with Satan, defected. Ultimately, their expectation is eternal damnation in a place that Jesus refers to as Gehenna. That's hell. Hell is not occupied by anybody yet. But it will be. The great white throne judgment that's referred to in the book of of Revelation speaks of that judgment of the unsaved, the unregenerate souls, all of those who have died, who have not known Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, in that day will be raised up from the dead. And they will be judged. It tells us in the book of Revelation that death and Hades both give up the dead that are in them. Now again, that proves from the Word of God that Hades is not hell because hell does not give up its dead. Never, ever think that there is going to come a time when those who are in hell will be suddenly released from that place. It is eternal. That's what Jesus says over and over and over again. Everlasting. There is no difference between everlasting hell and everlasting peace and everlasting presence of God. The word everlasting means everlasting in both of those cases. So Hades, giving up its dead, must mean that Hades is not hell. But it is a place of torment. And Jesus refers to that in Luke's Gospel. He talks about the fact that there is a place known as Abraham's bosom and a place known as torment. They both are within that place called Hades. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Word of God tells us He descended into the lower parts of the earth. That apparently was where Hades is. But it tells us that He spoke to the spirits proclaiming the message of the gospel to the spirits in Hades. And it tells us, interestingly, that He led captivity captive. That implies that those who were in Abraham's bosom, those Old Testament saints, those who died before the resurrected Savior, are, have, have all been taken out of that place and are now in heaven with him. The remainder of them, those who were in torment, 
are still there. It's like a penitentiary. It's a temporary holding place until the final judgment is given. And when the final judgment is given, it won't be an acquittal. It'll be judgment. All that they have done in rejecting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they will be then appointed to their final resting place, although it's not a rest at all for them. It's torment. That's hell. That will one day be their destiny. It'll also be the destiny of Satan and all his angels that followed after him. It will not be a party place. It'll be a place of outer darkness, torment forever and ever and ever. Let's get that image in our minds, fixed, because it is the reality of what Jesus has spoken, and He speaks truth. So no, it's not annihilation. Never intended to be. So those are the two places so far. Verse 26, do not fear those who persecute you. Do not fear those who can take your life. And reading on in verse 31, we'll get to that as we read verses 29 through 31. Listen carefully. It says, Are not two sparrows, in verse 29, sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of much more value than many sparrows. Jesus is here saying to his disciples, to us, look, Don't fear those who persecute you. Don't fear those who can take your life. Realize that your God loves you. Realize that you are of great value to Him. Now there's a difference between being of value to God and being worthy of that value. You and I should all of us know that none of us are worthy of His love. Still, even though we're born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not worthy to enter into His presence. The only reason we can is because of the imputed righteousness that He has given us by Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that we could enter into God's presence with His righteousness, not our own, and be accepted by a loving Father. Yes, God loves the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But you have to believe in Him in order to receive that promise that is made. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God doesn't want to send anybody. He never did send anybody to hell. And there's no reason for anybody to come to you and say, well, why should God send me to hell? He didn't and He won't. You make the choice. You either go there on your own volition or you go to the better place by choosing. That's the way it works with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus is here saying, look, think about this. Even the little tiny sparrows, and they're not very expensive You could buy two of them for a penny. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us you can get a bargain. If you have two pennies, you can buy five of them. You get an extra one just for the multiple number of pennies that you're willing to spend. But the point of all of that is to say that even though they're basically worthless, they are of value to God. For He even is aware when one sparrow falls to the ground. Think about that. He's aware of all that goes on in His creation. He loves His creation, even the least of them, the sparrow. 
or whatever other small creature you might be able to put into this place and realize that God cares for them. In fact, he emphasizes that from the least to the greater. He says if he's so involved in the life of a sparrow, how much more is he involved in your life? Then he goes on to say, how about the number of hairs on your head? Do you know that God numbers the hairs on your head? That's an amazing fact in and of itself. Some of us have more than others. That's good. We started out with somewhere around the same number. Apparently, somebody figured this out. Something like in the order of 140,000 hairs, follicles that you've got in your scalp, that more or less over time will result in some hair growing. God is aware of how many hairs you have on your head. Not only how many, but he numbers them. So you lose a hair in the morning when you're brushing your hair. God knows about it. That's the significance of what he's saying here. It's so insignificant, so small, so unbelievably without value. But God considers it to be of great value. That's why he says, do not fear, in verse 31. You're much more valuable than many sparrows. You're much more valuable than the hairs on your head. Jesus is saying, do not fear. Yes, there's trouble in the world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Peter tells us, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The world disguises its true purposes. You know that, don't you? They believe everything that I read this morning in these headlines as good things, ultimately. They want you to accept their way of thinking for the good of all. It's better for us to convert our currencies to cryptocurrencies to agree with the idea of a one world government with a great reset that must take place in order for all of that to happen. And many of those things that are taking place are being done for the purpose of moving toward that inevitability. Yes, it is inevitable inevitable that there will be a one world government. Antichrist will attempt to make it happen. He's going to badly fail. But there is still one world government coming, and that is the government of Jesus Christ, who will sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem, reigning over the whole world with a rod of iron. Yes, Jesus will reign on the throne of David. He will sit as king One world government. I embrace that. And when he comes, there will be no more fear. There will be no more because there's going to be perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Do you believe that? Perfect love casts out all fear. If that is so, and it is, then why would we be fearful? Why is it that we 
wake up every morning, we look at the newspapers or we listen to what's being spoken of on the news broadcasts on TV or we watch the videos on Internet and we see all of the devastation that's taking place around the world. We see all of the threats of war. We see all of the likelihood of famine and loss of income and great inflation and all kinds of trouble ahead. And what are we afraid of? Psalm 37 says, do not fret. Don't be fearful. Over and over, Jesus said to his disciples, don't be fearful. It's me. He's with you. He's beside you. He walks before you. I'm reminded every day in my prayer time, and I I just want to share this last thing with you. It's just because I believe it to be so, and I hope that you do too. The Word of God tells us He's the one who goes before us. He lights our path. The Word of God tells us He's our rear guard. He walks behind us to protect us. The Word of God declares He walks beside us in fellowship with us because He loves us. The Word of God tells us He has placed us upon a rock that is higher than I. He has placed us upon a solid foundation, a sure-footedness we have like the hind or the the mountain goat in the mountains, walking on the clefts of the rock. He has made us to have feet like hind's feet. That's sure-footedness. And He has made it so that He covers us in the shadow of His wings. How much more do we need? Are you fearful yet? With all of that which He does for you, are you thinking that it's not good to live in these last days? Are you fearful of these events that are taking place all around us? Well, some of us would say, well, all of those things are happening in the distance, far, far, far away from my own personal circle of activity. And so maybe there's not so much fear in any of our hearts because all of those things are happening elsewhere. And yes, we see the news, and it's terrible news. News is always bad. But if it hasn't been happening to me, I'm okay. I'm not fearful. But what if it does start happening to you? Where are you with regard to this issue of fearfulness? Have you settled it in your mind that you will take a stand for Jesus no matter what kind of persecution might come your way? Do not fear, Jesus said. Have you settled it in your mind that even if they come and threaten to kill you, will you be able to stand and say, I'm not fearful of this because I know my God loves me. Are you able to do that? Are you willing to say that this will not affect your walk with Jesus Christ? Or will the persecution cause you to run? Will the threat of somebody killing, taking your life, cause you to quake in fearfulness? God's love is all you need to face that fear head on and be victorious over it. Jesus wants us to be overcomers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 tells us, Who is he who overcomes? I remember asking the men at our men's breakfast over the past several months that very question every single time we met. Who is he who overcomes? And finally they began to get it. It's one who believes in Jesus Christ. That is who it is who overcomes. When Jesus said, 
be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, he turns around and says, look, you are overcomers because you have believed in me. So accept that as the truth of God's word and realize that there is power in his word to not only save you, but to carry you through every situation in life. Be bold in your walk for the Lord. Be convinced in his word that there's no reason to fear, no reason to doubt, no reason to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Be merciful, Lord God, to all of us who fear. For there's no reason for us who are overcomers to fear anything that man can do. Lastly, I want to point out the fact that we as a body of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, are responsible to help one another and to be willing to minister to each other's needs, to pray for one another, to laugh with one another, and to be sorrowful when our brothers and sisters are sorrowful, joining with them in that sorrow, to lift them up, to help them to succeed in being an overcomer. And when we do that, when we work together as a body of believers, when we minister to one another in such a way as what the Word of God declares we must be doing, then there is no reason for any one of us to be fearful. If you're fearful here today, then speak to a brother or sister. Express that. And let your brother or sister minister to you to help you deal with that. Because fearfulness can lead to a very bad experience for all of us. The Bible says in many places, fearing God is the beginning of all wisdom. And when we start fearing others, we begin to move away from that fear of God. And that fear of God isn't a fear that He's going to judge us. That judgment's been settled at the cross for those who believe. That is a reverential fear. That is a, 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 a recognition that our God has done great things for us. And because of His awesome power and presence, we have a reverential fear that He is so far bigger than we are. There is no greater cure for fear of men than the fear of God. Trust Him in this. Walk by faith, not by fear. And you will see God's hand in your life.